Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, St. Augustine once said that if the entire Bible could be encapsulated into a single sentence, then it would cry out like the resounding waves of the sea, God loves you. You know, we've been in a sermon series called This Is Our God, and we are studying the attributes of God. What is God like? And today we are looking at God's love. God is love, the Bible says. This is who God is. He is love. And this afternoon, I only have two points that I want to make. I want to give you two truths that I have learned in my short life. Two truths that I am certain of. And the first is this. It is that God loves sinners. I know that many of you, whether in your childhood or at some other point in your life, you've experienced a type of Christianity or a type of religion that doesn't allow much room for failures and for sinners. I had an experience like that myself. And, I, you know, I'm so grateful that when I was a child and a teenager, my parents, they took me to church every week. I grew up learning the scriptures and being surrounded by a lot of really great godly people. However, the honestly, the church culture that I grew up in, at least my perception as a young teenager, it it gave the impression that church was a place where good people were and those outside the church, those, those were people that needed to be avoided because they were bad. And often people outside the church were gossiped about by people those inside the church. You know, can you believe that person did that? Or can you believe their kid got a DUI? And it, they were just talked about. It was often indirectly taught that the people that didn't go to church did bad things. And if you spend time with people who do bad things, they might influence you and you'll become bad. And that's bad. And so church and Christianity in my early experience was about gathering the good people and doing what we can to not be infected by the bad people. And so much of what was taught as a, to me as a young teenager was so hyper-focused on teaching me how to modify by my behavior and how to be good. And so I heard quite a bit of sermons on the danger of alcohol. And I heard a lot of sermons on sexual purity. And I was even asked on multiple occasions to throw out my CD collection because, you know, apparently Metallica and Bone Thugs and Harmony weren't acceptable soundtracks for the youth group ski trip. Look, I understand what these church leaders were trying to do. They wanted us to live holy lives. They wanted us to honor God. They wanted us to protect us from unwise decisions. And they just wanted to protect us from sin. And I want the same things for your children and for mine. But in my experience, because the focus was so much on my behavior and on being good, what I heard as a young Christian was this way of that way of living is bad and God doesn't like it. And this way of living is good and God likes it. So be good and God will like you. But here's where the struggle was for me as a teenage boy. I was a teenage boy, which means I had the same temptations and the same struggles as every other teenage boy in my school. And what eventually happened is that I did some of the things that I was told that I wasn't supposed to do. 
And when I did those things, I remember feeling a great, an immense amount of shame. And I didn't know where to go. And I didn't know what to do with my shame. I, didn't, I couldn't go to church because I was now an outcast. I was, I was now one of the bad influences. And in my mind, I couldn't go to God because I felt like I had disappointed Him and that I was now a hypocrite. And so in my sin and in my shame, I remember feeling completely alone. I couldn't go to God because He was displeased with me and I couldn't go to the people of God because I was now a bad influence on their kids. This was devastating for my faith as a young teenager. And it shaped the way I viewed God. And in those moments of my greatest shame, those were moments where I actually felt like I could not approach God. And it was damaging to my faith and my understanding of who God was. But by God's grace, I went to college and You know, at first, I just went the way of a typical college kid that's frustrated with faith. I focused on school and social life. I wasn't thinking much about Christianity or my faith at all, because in my mind, there wasn't much that God could want from a failure like me. But by God's grace, I was invited to a college ministry. And I showed up one Thursday night, and the pastor taught from Luke chapter 15, the parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son. And In this parable, a young son runs away from home, sins recklessly, and finds himself in complete and total shame. And he was so afraid to go home to his father. He was afraid that his father would be angry with him. He was afraid that his father would not let him back in the house, but he didn't have any other options. So he said in verse 18, in Luke 15, verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son thought, you know, of course my father could never love a son like me again. But maybe, just maybe, he'll be kind enough to let me work for him, being his his employee. And it says the boy, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. And the father says to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. And what I love about that story is that the father was waiting patiently for the son to come home. And while the son was still a long way off, the father took off running and embraced him. And I remember hearing that passage of Scripture taught to me as a college student, and I was overwhelmed by the love of God. You see, in the shame of my sin and in the shame of my failures, I wrongly believed that God now held me at a distance, that I had disappointed Him and now He was angry with me. But God, our Heavenly Father, He's like the Father in the parable. It gives Him pleasure to welcome His children back when they have run from Him. And this is what I want you to know today. And this is like the driving force of my ministry Uh, for my whole life, is that I want you to know that God loves sinners. It is when you feel the greatest amount of shame that God wants most to be near to you because it gives Him joy to forgive you and to lift your shame. Why? Because God is love. You know, often we think that God is frustrated by sinners like us or He's fed up with us, but it's when we are most frustrated with ourselves that God wants to draw most closely to us. So let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus went through the pain of the crucifixion and the horrors of the cross? 
Do you think Jesus paid the penalty for your sins so that when you sin, you would back away and shy away from Him in shame? No! He endured the cross with joy so that you would have someone to turn to in those moments where you feel most worthless and in those moments you can receive His love and forgiveness. Dane Ortland says in his excellent new book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, Imagine a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problems and the antibiotics are prepared and available. And this doctor is independently wealthy and he has no need of any financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care for these people, the afflicted people refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. But finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care that is being freely provided. What do you think the doctor feels in that moment? He feels joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. That's the whole reason he came. So with us, Dane Ortland says, and so with Christ. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to Him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what He came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to supply a limitless supply of mercy and grace. And I would add love to His people. God loves sinners like you. He loves to forgive sinners. He loves to comfort sinners. He loves to clean sinners up and give sinners new life. And so, do you feel shame today? Don't turn away from God in your shame. Turn toward Him because God loves sinners. The second truth I've learned about God and His love is this. God loves sufferers. We often think the measure of God's love for us is if we're healthy or wealthy or comfortable. We think that if God loved us, we we would have all these things and all these comforts. So what happens is many of us, when we experience suffering, we often say, where is God? Why has He abandoned me? And it feels like this when we suffer. It feels like God is distant. But what what we see in the Bible is that in our suffering, that's when God draws most closest to us. And that is when He most sympathizes with us. You see, when we experience suffering, we're tempted to think that that means God is far from us. But if you read the Scriptures, you see that it's precisely in our suffering where God draws even closer to us. When we are in pain, that is when His love most deepens toward us. And we tend to curse God in our pain, but it's in our pain that God wants to draw near to us. In John chapter 11, Jesus, His good friend Lazarus dies. And the Bible says that Lazarus' sister Mary comes to Jesus and she throws herself at His feet and she's weeping. And she says to Him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, you could have stopped this, she said. And how did Jesus respond? It says that when Jesus saw her weeping, He was moved in His spirit and He was greatly troubled. And then it says that Jesus wept. And if you know this story, you know that Jesus eventually raises Lazarus from the dead. But don't miss this moment where Jesus weeps with Mary. Because this is the heart of Christ towards sufferers like you and me. When we suffer, when we experience loss or loneliness or pain or uncertainty or broken dreams or shattered hopes, 
Though when we want to shake our fists at God and say, if only you were here, this would not have happened. It's in these moments that God doesn't try to defend Himself from the charges we level against Him, but rather He just simply weeps with us. And in His weeping with us, His love for us grows deeper. Last Sunday, my son fell while he was playing, and he broke his leg, and the break was so bad that he had to have surgery the next day. And after my son was out of surgery, I was sitting by his bedside, and I was just looking at him, and he was whimpering, and he was crying, and he was in all kinds of pain. And I just looked at him, and I grabbed hold of his hand, and I wept with him. And my heart broke for him. I hate to see my son in pain. And I cried with him in that hospital room. But I want you to know that I was also in that moment just overwhelmed with how much I loved my son. And because he was in pain, my desire was to come closer and to be with him and to comfort him and to assure him. Now listen, I know that his leg is going to heal and that my son is not always going to experience pain. I know the pain won't last forever and I know that he'll get better, but I still weep when he weeps and I'm still there for him in his pain. Listen, your suffering will not last forever. God knows that because He's guaranteed it. Just like Jesus knew that He would raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus knows now that He has defeated sickness, shame, guilt, sin, Satan, and death. Those things will not have the last word over your life. You will be healed. But while we wait for the healing to come in its fullness, there will be days when we suffer and we will weep. And the testimony of the Scriptures is that we will never weep alone. We have a God who is with us in our suffering. Two simple truths this morning. God loves sinners and God loves sufferers. But how do we know that God is love? Our text this afternoon is 1 John 4, 8. And it says, God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How do we know that God is love? How do we know that God loves sinners? Because God sent His only Son to bear our sin, to take our shame, to carry it to the cross, and to be crucified along with it. He went through the pain of the cross so that we could have somewhere to turn in our sin and shame. How do we know that God loves sufferers? Well, because He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it feels like to be lonely, to be thirsty, to be hungry. He knows what it feels like to be poor. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, and falsely accused and betrayed. He knows. He knows. And He has promised to be with us in our pain and as we wait for Him to overcome our pain. God is love. Let me pray for you, Crossroads. God, we thank You that You are love. And we thank You that we know that You are love because You sent Your only Son to come and live the life that we couldn't live but pay the penalty for our sin that we deserved. You gave up everything to come and be with us and to die for us. God, so there is no doubt in our minds that You love us. There's no doubt that You are love. 
And you love sinners and you give us a place to turn in our shame. And you love sufferers because you've walked through the suffering with us. And so God, we confess today that you are love. And we pray, I pray that your love would overwhelm us and would give us hope and meaning and purpose and joy today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.